this Advent, we've been looking at some of the prophetic expectations of Messiah that seem ironic or even paradoxical. You know, paradoxes have always intrigued me, like the paradox of Swiss cheese. You ever thought about that? Swiss cheese has a lot of holes in it. The more holes you have, the less cheese you have. The more cheese you have, the more holes you have. Thus, the more cheese you have, the less cheese you have. Both mysteriously true. Or how about the paradox of procrastination? Let me ask you this. If you come in last in a procrastination contest because you procrastinated, does that make you the best or worst at procrastinating? Okay, I'll let you think for just a second here. Okay. Okay, what becomes clear from what we've looked at so far is that not only are many of the prophecies concerning the Messiah ironic, they often do seem paradoxical. For instance, we started out with the prophets telling us that Messiah will both be man and God. The prophets also tell us the Messiah comes as a powerful king and a lowly servant. And today, we're going to continue by looking at a third irony of Christmas, where prophecies of Messiah tell us that he will paradoxically be both a divine warrior coming to judge and a humble shepherd coming to care for his people. Both are mysteriously true, which we can see beginning with the prophet Micah. First, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the coming Messiah is described as a ruler. But as for you, Bethlehem of Hathra, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. And then two verses later, it says the Messiah is coming to shepherd his people. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. The contrast couldn't be more striking. As we'll see, both are true. But let's, let's begin looking at this ironic aspect of Messiah and his coming. First, the Old Testament prophecies that picture Messiah, uh, first of all, do picture him as a ruler and a divine warrior fighting the battle for God's kingdom. This is because much of ancient Israel's experience, their, their ancient hopes were tied to God fighting their enemies on their behalf, beginning with the Egyptians, where the nation was born and redeemed. God fights against the Pharaoh's army on behalf of his people Israel, and this really became uh, embedded in their soul. This is how God ministers and saves his people. Exodus 14, 13 and 14, uh, as they stand on the uh, edge of the Red Sea, trapped, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. 
For the Egyptians, whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And one of the few appearances of the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament is when he appears to Joshua as commander of the armies of heaven before he goes in to take Jericho. In Joshua chapter 5, beginning of verse 13, it says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite with him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, uh, Excuse me, are you for us or for our enemies, our adversaries? And he said, Neither. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the hosts of the Lord, and host there simply can be translated armies. The host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down, and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You never did that if this was not the, uh, a theophany, an appearance of God before him. When Israel goes against their enemies, the Lord promised to fight for them. Deuteronomy 20, 1 to 4. Moses says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. And when you are approaching the battle, the priest shall come near and speak to the people, and he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid or panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And finally, David, when he comes against Goliath, uh, David said to him that God would defend his people against their enemies in 1 Samuel 17, 46. David says, this day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I'll strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The word of God declares, in battle terms, the victory belongs to the Lord. Proverbs 21:31. Well, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. All that to say... All through Israel's history, um, God is viewed as a mighty warrior who fights on their behalf, coming to rescue them from the, the enemies that, that have conquered them or kept them in bondage. So when Messiah comes, guess what? They're expecting a warrior. They're under Roman, Roman rule, under this pagan system, this government. 
So just like in their history, the Messiah, when he comes, he's going to make us again just his people and save us from our bondage to Rome. Um, but the, the prophecies continue. In fact, more numerous than I can go through this morning. Uh, Psalm 24, uh, again, picturing Messiah coming. Israel welcomes the Lord as their mighty king to do battle. Psalm 24, verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? Again, expectation of Messiah. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Other passages, too numerous to name, also echo this expectation. We go to towards the end of the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 2. Lord says, I'll gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, half of the city exiled, but the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on the day of battle. So in, it makes sense. In Israel's mind, when Messiah appears... We're expecting a warrior, a man mighty in battle. And yet when Jesus shows up, he doesn't look anything like a warrior. He doesn't look like a warrior, doesn't act like a warrior. And that's because the Messianic prophecies also picture the Messiah paradoxically as a gentle shepherd. I'm not surprised they had a hard time recognizing him. Ironically, though, I mean, it, it's all there if you care to look closely. Even the, the warrior kings in Israel were also referred to as shepherds of their people. Uh, Psalm 78, 70 to 72, Psalm says he also chose David his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob and his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with skillful hands. This is David, mighty in battle who's shepherding his people. It's there. In fact, God himself is often described as, in the Old Testament, as both a warrior and a shepherd. Exodus 15, 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And so, in the Messianic prophecies, in some mysterious way to the ancient reader, the expected Messiah is described as both a warrior and a shepherd. One good example of that is in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God will come with might. With his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd. Very next verse. 
He'll tend his flock. In his arm he'll gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom and will gently lead those nursing ewes. Both. Ironically, paradoxically, when Jesus came, many were expecting a divine warrior, but he identified himself as a good shepherd. John 10, 11, he said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, what many did not understand at the time, that while Messiah is a warrior who fights against God's enemies and a shepherd who cares for God's people, those two descriptions of the coming Messiah would ultimately be fulfilled in two advents, not just one. Messiah comes the first time, as we talked about before, in humble weakness to lay down his life for the sheep, for our sins. But Messiah is promised to come a second time, we enter the New Testament, in power and strength as King of kings and Lord of lords to defeat God's enemies and vanquish evil and death forever. And in fulfillment of these prophetic expectations of the first advent, Jesus identified in the New Testament, is identified as the, as the great shepherd of the sheep. Hebrews 13, which you'll hear repeated this morning. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us, which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Jesus is called the shepherd of our souls. First Peter 2.25, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's referred also to the chief shepherd, who will make things right. First Peter 5, 4, when the chief shepherd appears. Second advent, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So the irony of Christmas is that Jesus was born to be a gentle shepherd, laying down his life for the sheep, but will come again is raised from the dead to come again as a divine warrior to vanquish evil for good, fulfilling both aspects of the Old Testament prophecies. So, I tried to leave you with a Christmas paradoxical application each time we've talked about these kind of things. So, uh, our Christmas application of God's great irony today is twofold. First, you can know Jesus as your compassionate shepherd who's with you, knows you, helps you, saves you. Or you can relate to him only as an enemy and know him as a divine warrior and judge. The difference in how you know him has eternal consequences. To know Jesus as your shepherd, as David said, the Lord is my shepherd. To, to know Jesus in that personal way, like David describes, begins when you believe in Jesus 
as God's promised Messiah who came to save you. And to give you, in believing in him, the gift of eternal life. But if you choose not to believe in him as your shepherd in a personal way by believing in him, then you will meet him as, your, as a divine warrior and judge. As Jesus once explained to Nicodemus, who was asking him questions about what the, all the good news means. And, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever uh, lives a good life, not whoever goes to church every Sunday, whoever believes in him will have eternal life and not perish. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. <laughs> he who, listen, who does not believe has been judged already by default because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We'll either know him as our shepherd or as the divine warrior. The choice is made now while we're still alive here on earth. I urge you, believe in the Son for the gift of eternal life. That's why he came. Now the second application is that if you have believed in Jesus and he is your shepherd, that means, the application is then, be his sheep. <laughs> Who are you listening to? My sheep hear my voice and follow me. Be his sheep. If that's how you know him, listen to his voice, follow him. Jesus said that's what it means in John 10. Let him guide you in paths of righteousness, as the psalm says, and quiet your soul beside still waters when everything around you is chaos. That's what he came to do. He, he wants to be your shepherd, not your judge, not your enemy, not your divine warrior. But if he is your shepherd, then be his sheep. Be a sheep. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jesus, who, who came as the good shepherd to lay down his life for us, but who was also raised from the dead and will one day return in glory as the divine warrior to vanquish evil, restore peace, and restore our world. I thank you, Father, that Jesus is now 
the shepherd of every soul who's placed their faith in him. Those who are here today, thank you for the salvation we received in his name by your grace. Father, would you help us as your sheep to listen to the voice of our shepherd and not stray from the paths of righteousness on which he leads us? We ask you, Jesus, lead us with your rod and staff to bring us safely home to your heavenly kingdom. It's in your name I pray. Amen.